a church founded on prayer, a church founded on prayer. Uh, Corrie ten Boon was a lovely Dutch lady who was imprisoned in a concentration camp during the Second World War with her sister. Her sister sadly died. But Corrie ten Boon said this, lovely Christian lady, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Um, Paul said in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, in Proverbs 15, it says the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. And then again in Matthew, we had uh, it said in Matthew 11, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Thomas Watson, uh, an old uh, prayer warrior, he said, prayer delights God's ear, it melts his heart, it opens his hand, God cannot deny a praying soul. From what we read in the Acts of the Apostles, the early Christian church knew how to pray. Prayer is actually mentioned 33 times in the book of Acts. And things always happened when these early Christians prayed. Prayer is firstly about our relationship with God. It's our conversation with him. And it's something that can never be cut off, never be denied or prevented. We have this constant lifeline of communication to God that we can continually use. He is far more ready to hear than we are to speak because he loves us deeply. And God said through Moses in the Old Testament, where Moses said in Exodus 4, you must worship no other gods, but only the Lord, for he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Think about that for a moment. God is passionate about his relationship with you. So whenever you speak to him, he is thrilled. Whenever you offer up a prayer, whenever you open your heart to him, he is thrilled because he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. And one of the principal keys to the early church being so effective in prayer was, of course, their relationship with the Holy Spirit. These guys knew how to pray in the Spirit and with the Spirit because things happened whenever they prayed. They seem to understand what Paul wrote sometime later uh, in the book of Romans when he said, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, often we don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And Jude, another one of the disciples, he later said, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a connection. There was a dynamic there was a, a powerful relationship of prayer that was operating through the person of the Holy Spirit who was filling them and flowing out through them. Now, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, and Luke was a doctor, but Luke also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, on one occasion, the disciples came to Jesus and they simply said this, Lord, will you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. 
And so Jesus then introduced to them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Bishop David Williams referred to it this morning in that little clip that we saw. But the Lord's Prayer was never a prayer that Jesus intended us to say by rote. Now, there's nothing wrong with us repeating the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we often do it, and it's quite a habitual prayer that people often use. But I don't believe Jesus ever taught the disciples that that was how they should pray. What I believe he taught them was principles of prayer. And he taught them these principles of prayer that we then see them putting into practice in the book of Acts. And I just want to show you how they put into practice these principles that Jesus taught them, how they put it into practice as we go through the book of Acts. So follow with me four key areas. First of all, there is the prayer of declaration. Jesus taught his disciples, our father who is in heaven, holy and awesome, hallowed is your name. That is a declaration. And he taught the disciples that prayer is about declaring who God is. Let me turn you to Acts chapter 4 and just to read verses 22 to 24, and you'll see a declaration that they are making here in prayer. Acts 4, 22. Um, we had it read to us, I believe, but as soon as the Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests had said, when they heard this report, all the believers lifted their voices in prayer to God and said, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, see and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit to your ancestor David. They were making a declaration of how great how awesome, how mighty, how sovereign their God is. Often our prayers are in the form of petition. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We have petitioned the Lord this morning about people who are sick and need uh, his touch. But often we form our prayers around petitions. But I want to remind us this morning, we must never forget the importance of thanksgiving. Peter and John have been arrested in Acts 4. They've been imprisoned, interrogated, thrilling the lame man and for preaching the gospel. But as soon as they are released, they give thanks and declare the greatness of God. If you look in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas are imprisoned because they had delivered a girl who was demonically possessed. They are put in prison, their feet are fastened in stocks, they have been beaten, and they're in a terrible state. But it tells us in Acts 16 at 25 that Paul and Silas begin to pray in hymns of praise to God. All the other prisoners listen, and of course if you know the story, an earthquake comes and the prison is suddenly broken open. I'd have thought that was the last moment in your life you'd have thought of giving God thanks. Having been beaten, having been put in a nasty dungeon with your feet in stocks, wouldn't that be the least moment you felt like giving God thanks? But these guys knew that the most important thing was to declare the greatness of God and to give their praises and thanks to him. It says in, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. 
Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Paul then says in Philippians, don't be pulled into different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests to God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. And then again, Paul says in Philippians, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. They clearly put into practice what they believed. On that occasion, certainly in that dungeon when they were praising God. David said in the Psalms, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. How do you magnify something? Well, there's two ways you magnify something, by getting nearer to it or bringing it nearer to you. And there is all about when we give God thanks, we magnify him, we draw closer to him, he comes closer to us. This is the essence of prayer, and this is what they practiced in the early church. So the first area is prayer of declaration. Secondly, we've got prayer of direction. Jesus taught them, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. The will of God is paramount to us because living outside of God's will is the pathway to heartache and sadness. Let me tell you a personal story. When I was 16, I fell in love with a, a very pretty Salvation Army girl. She was in a church just up the road from mine, and I thought, she's a, she's a lovely lass. We, we got on really well, etc. But you know, after about a year and a half, God began to say to me, she is not the girl for you. And I tried to turn a deaf ear. I, I didn't want to hear because I liked her and we got on great. But God kept on telling me she was not his will for my life. So eventually I finished with her. I felt really sad. It was as if everything had fallen out of my life. And six weeks later, I started going out with her again. And God started to lean on me rather heavily and say, I have told you she is not the girl for you. And so a few weeks later, I humbled myself and I broke off with her. She was terribly sad. I was terribly sad. And I felt very miserable for weeks and weeks after that. Six months later, I met Janice. And the rest is history. Next year or 50 years. And the moment we met one another, we very quickly knew that we were God's will for one another. You see, when you live in the center of God's will, it is the pathway to joy, to blessing, to goodness and delight. When you're out of God's will, it is the pathway to heartache and sadness. These early Christians understood the importance of God's will. And even before the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them, they made a decision to find a replacement for Judas. Judas, who had this, who had um, betrayed Jesus and he had gone and committed suicide they then felt well we need to replace him and so they begin a process of thinking God who is your choice and if you look in Acts chapter 1 23 to 26 you read how that they prayed a prayer of direction 
It says in Acts 1, 23, so they nominated two men, Joseph, whose name was Justice and Matthias. They all prayed. Oh, Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. Then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the eleven. Here they were right at the outset of the birth of the church, praying for God's direction, praying that they would know the will of God in this important matter. They understood the wisdom of doing things God's way. The psalmist said in Psalm 143, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. When we walk out of God's will, we don't have firm footing. We are on shaky ground. When you're living in God's will, you have firm footing. In Proverbs, it says, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. The will of God will lead us in the right path. In Psalm 40, verse 8, the psalmist says, I take joy in doing your will for your instructions are written on my heart. You see, unless we let God take over the steering wheel of our lives, we will always live with conflict concerning God's will and my will. If God has not got a grip of the steering wheel of my life, then I'm an accident going somewhere to happen. But when God is in control, when Jesus Christ is Lord, Again, that was what David Williams said this morning. Those early Christians had to confess, no, Jesus is my Lord. It's not Caesar. When Jesus is Lord, then he is in control. He will lead us in his will and purpose for our lives. But often there's a battle. And the disciples understood that because some of those disciples had heard Jesus pray that heart-wrenching prayer in Gethsemane when he pleaded with the Father before the cross, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. But then Jesus said, Father, it's not about my will. It's about your will being done. And those disciples understood from the very lips of Jesus the importance of living in the center of God's will. Paul said in Romans 12, let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Sometimes God has to alter our thinking so that we see things from his perspective, so that we then walk in his will. Rick Warren says, the way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel influences the way you act. I wonder how you feel today about situations and circumstances that are surrounding your life. Are you seeking for God's will to be fulfilled. So there is the prayer of declaration, there's the prayer of direction, but then there's the prayer of blessing. Jesus said to the disciples, give us this day the food that we need, need or our daily bread. You see, Jesus taught the disciples the power of blessing because in Acts 3 verse 26, this is what Peter said about Jesus. God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you as you turn one by one from your evil ways. Everything that Jesus did when he walked upon this earth was to bless people. 
the whole of his ministry was about blessing people, bringing healing, bringing hope, bringing transformation, bringing the grace of God into their lives. This is what Jesus did. And when you look through the book of Acts, you find that the disciples were going to bless people in very similar ways. Look in Acts 3 and verse 6. That time when Peter and John go to the temple, they meet this man who can't walk. And Peter says, I haven't got any silver and gold, but I've got something else. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. What a blessing that man had in that moment. After 40 years, never been able to walk. Suddenly, he's got power in his legs. That's an unparalleled blessing that he received. If you look in Acts um, chapter 5, 15 and 16, Acts 5, 15 and 16, it says here that uh, the, the apostles, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people will be brought out onto the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. If you go into chapter 8 and verse 15, um, you read there of the time, uh, Acts 8 and verse um, yeah, 15. Here we've got, um, I think this is the, the point here. Um, yeah, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, but they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then also in Acts 9 and verse 17, Ananias comes to Paul after Paul had had that encounter with Jesus on the, the road to Damascus. And he lays his hands on him, says, receive your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. These disciples were imparting and we have the power to bless people. We really do. We have the power to bless people in the name of Jesus. We have got something we can give them. Sometimes it might be just saying, look, do you mind if I pray with you? And saying a simple prayer with people. Sometimes it might be writing a, a card of encouragement to them. Sometimes it might be doing some act of kindness. But you and I have been so blessed. And the only reason God blesses us is that we might be a blessing to others. We are blessed to bless. And the disciples understood that. And they actively engaged in the prayer of blessing. Jesus said, didn't he, in Mark 16, you will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. Let's practice what Jesus said. Let's give away the goodness and the grace of the blessing of God that he has poured into our lives. Finally, there is what we see as the prayer of deliverance. Jesus taught the disciples to ask God, deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. These first Christians found themselves in some very difficult situations. Their lives were frequently threatened. They were persecuted for their faith in the risen Christ. And it was a price that they were prepared to pay. But in those challenging times, they knew how to pray for deliverance. In Acts 4, 29 and 30, Acts 7, 59 to 60, Acts 12, verse 5, I won't read them, but there were clear occasions when they prayed for God to deliver them out of very difficult situations. During this time of lockdown, there has been a massive increase in prayer. And Jane Holloway, who heads up the World Prayer Center, 
wrote something just recently in the Evangelical Alliance Idea Magazine. I'm just going to get Janice to read it to us because it's so encouraging. <clears throat> she says, in the last 25 years, there has been a remarkable mobilization of prayer and worship by the Holy Spirit, which involves thousands and thousands of Christians from different denominations, organizations and houses of prayer around the world. As the pandemic was declared, this worship and prayer army was joined by many more here in the UK and in other nations as churches, organizations and individuals started to pray and call out to God. Churches found that their Zoom prayer gatherings were better attended than ever. Some city prayer gatherings, which normally attracted a few hundred people, now had thousands connecting. Calls to prayer for seasons of prayer, days of prayer and prayer at set times of the day were made from denominations and organizations. The tier fund survey showed around 3 million new people started praying. 24 seven prayer saw a surge in demand for their resources and the use of Lectio 365 app. Neighborhood prayer networks saw more than 52,000 prayer requests posted and prayed for in the first four weeks of lockdown. And our virtual house of prayer saw an upsurge in membership as prayer requests were posted. And this prayer momentum has continued through lockdown easing. Lockdown was in fact an unlocking time, enabling us to connect online and to pray with others in our families, as well as with other believers in our community, across our country and around the world. Brilliant. So something is happening in terms of prayer for uh, through, the, through the church throughout this time. And I just want to encourage you and to these areas of prayer that there is the prayer of declaration. Let's continue to give God thanks. Let's give him praise. Let's be grateful despite our circumstances. Let's lift up the name of Jesus in every situation. There's the prayer of direction. Let's seek to know God's will for our lives day by day live in the center of his will. There's the prayer of blessing. We have got so much that we can give our broken and hurting world. And then there's the prayer of deliverance, where we can see the power of God setting people free, breaking out situations that have been bound and bringing glory to the name of Jesus. Jane Holloway, from whom Janice just read, she said this also, prayer is not an optional extra. It is a vital lifeline that we all need if we are to carry Jesus' presence and minister comfort, hope, and healing in these challenging times. Many, many years ago on the television, there was an advert for a breakfast cereal called Ready Breck. Um, it's still around now, but they used to have these children walking around having had their Ready Breck and they were glowing. There was this sort of aura that flowed from them. And I've never forgotten that because I really believe it symbolizes what we are as Christians. We carry the presence of God. There is something different about us. Wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is with us, upon us, and we can make a difference as we allow him to flow through us. So thank God for prayer in level 10. Prayer 310cc. It's exciting what's happening. Praying in threes for 10 minutes once a week for church and community. We've got a week of prayer coming up, and then we've got M2Win, our year of mission that needs to be soaked in prayer. 
So God bless us and God use us.